You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents Network of Podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Karen Slaughter, the number one internationally best-selling author of more than a dozen novels, including the Will Trent and Grant County series. Her most recent novel, Cop Town, was an instant New York Times bestseller and is currently nominated for the Edgar Award for Best Novel. Karen joins us today to talk about her new novel, Pretty Girls, publishing in the States on September 29th by William Morrow. Thank you so very much, Karen, for joining us. Thank you. So now the author, Lee Child, says that Pretty Girls is a stunning family tragedy and a hold-your-breath, pedal-to-the-metal thriller magically blended by Karen Slaughter's trademark passion, intensity, and humanity, certain to be a book of the year. I completely agree. Well, thank you. I read it on a plane to uh, San Francisco for the American Library Association, and I didn't move. I just sat and turned the pages. Now, is it correct that this is your first book that doesn't feature a working cop? It's true. I mean, there are cops because there's a crime, but the narrators are all everyday people. Yeah, non-pros, as, as the trades call them. Now, so, so tell us about that. Tell us about that decision. Well, it was a very deliberate decision because I thought it would be interesting as a writer to challenge myself to write a book that wasn't narrated by at least one police officer. And, you know, people don't really think about the nuts and bolts of writing, but when you're writing from a cop's perspective, there's a certain amount of things that you can expect a cop to do. You know, he's going to interview people. uh, He or she's going to talk about forensics. They're going to be at a crime scene. They're going to have a reason to be at a crime scene, you know. And so writing a book without those... uh, Uh, safety nets was an interesting challenge for me. And I wanted to be really careful that I wasn't writing two feisty girls who end up in trouble. You know, that's not the kind of story I'm interested in. I wanted really grown women with grown women issues and problems. And uh, these two sisters, Claire and Lydia, are estranged when the book begins. And and I wanted to figure out a way to get them back in each other's lives, but whether or not they can stay there, whether or not it works, that was kind of the the question of the book, you know. They're very different. They've grown up in a different way. They have a lot of baggage they have together. And, you know, how am I going to make that work? And how am I going to tell a really good, twisty, turny kind of thrillery story? I loved the sister relationship. I found it to be very, very true as it evolved. I'm, I'm the middle of, of two sisters, of three sisters. But, but I want to go back to what you said earlier. This is, this is novel number, what, 12, 13? 15. 15. Yeah. So now it sounds like you gave yourself a challenge, a very specific challenge. It, did you do that in your earlier books? Or did, is that something that happens as a novelist evolves? The first ones, you, you're just writing the stories that come to you. And now you get to the point where, okay, I've done this, I've done that, I've done the other. Now I really need a specific puzzle to, to solve out. Well, it is and it isn't. You know, every book I start, whether it was my first book or my last book or the one I'm working on now, um, which is the next Will Trent novel, it's called The Kept Woman, you know, I want to always be doing something different. I want to challenge myself. I want to tell a different story. There's not a Karen Slaughter formula unless you count something bad happens and then someone figures out why. Uh, 
I want to do something different each time. And I play a lot with the narratives and I play a lot with uh, things that happen in the overall series. And so that's really something that I'm interested in doing. I, I could very easily sit down and write uh, 3,000 murder she wrote. Um, yeah. And, you know, those are successful for a reason. People love those. But for me as a writer, I want to be doing something different and challenging myself because that's kind of the point of doing it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it was so successful in this work because one of the things that I related to or that I that I thought was was so intriguing was how you have one sister who seems to have this perfect life. And then, of course, as the novel develops, we 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 learn more and more how that's unraveling. But I thought it was interesting how she continually wanted to go back to where she could trust people, where she had her comfort zone. And all of these things would tell her, no, that's gone. And yet she kept trying to go back there. Is that based on research that you did that says that that's really what our brains tend to do? Because I think that is a, a very human reaction to keep wanting it to go back to the to the old way and the familiar way and the comfortable way. Did you do that kind of research? or? Well, I think just living life <laughs> makes you want that. I think everybody wants things right? to feel normal. I mean, it's one of the reasons why women who are in abusive relationships stay in them. It's kind of the devil you know. Um, and the unknown is a very scary thing. And for this character, Claire, who has something really horrible happen and realizes that the person she's closest to, the person she's given up, a lot in her life for uh, is actually not the person she thought he was. And I think some sometimes people see that in their own lives in really small ways. But part of the thing is forgiveness is really built into us. You know, as much as we get angry, as much as we say we're never going to talk to this person again, there's this niggling thing, especially for women in the back of our head, that if we don't like someone, that means we're a bad person, that we should try to find a way to like them. And so in the case of Claire, where there's something that, you know, her husband has done that is completely unforgivable, uh, she also has this part of herself that's still in love with him and still is in mourning because she saw him murdered and her entire life is upside down and, you know, she's really at a loss. And I'm the youngest of three girls, so as the baby of the family, I can relate to Claire wanting her big sister to come in and take care of everything. Yeah, and it sort of reframes her relationships with everyone else because she realizes, oh, if I can't trust this one, I, I, she starts to doubt where she stands with everybody else, right? And, and yeah. how she relates to them and what her role is in, in sort of the whole family picture. Right. And, you know, she picks the one person in her life she knows no matter what she can trust, and that's her sister, Lydia. Yeah. It, it really, it was a great, it was a great family novel in addition to a really scary novel. What scares you the most? You know, fear comes from the unknown. And so I know what's going to happen in my novels. Um, what scares me the most probably is slasher movies. I can't watch them, like Saw, Scream, all of that, which is really stupid because they're obviously fake and silly, and those things just freak me out, or anything to do with the devil. And that comes from being really raised that. Southern Baptist, you know. So uh, that's something that my grandmother used to say, you know, you better go to sleep or the devil will get you, um, which, you know, now she could probably go to prison for that. But um, it, it is something that I'm, I'm – I can get scared of at the right time, you know. But what's happening in my books, it's 
yes, it's horrific, and I've done quite a bit of research into it and all of that, but I think I just have a distance from it. If you think about this being my job and reading autopsies and reading police reports and talking to medical examiners and FBI agents and all that, you know, so it does feel like kind of my job, though, obviously, from a spectator's point of view, because I'm not doing the hard work that police officers and doctors actually have to perform. Yeah, and you're 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 such a lovely, you know, southern <laughs> woman who's so approachable and sweet, and it, it is remarkable that the talent that you possess in in scaring the living daylights out of the rest <laughs> of us, and very successfully causing us to need to find out, you know, what the heck happened before and after these these gruesome things. I, I think it's I think it's really remarkable. When did you realize that you wanted to be a writer, and then and then when and then if it was different, when did you realize that you wanted to be this type of writer, this this thriller type of writer? Well, you know, I've always thought of myself as a writer, my earliest memories, you know, and even when I was six years old, I was writing and illustrating my own books. My dad actually has one of them. He said it's his retirement, uh, but he's never going to retire. Yeah, so <laughs> it's just maybe get passed on. Um, but I don't think you choose to be a writer. Writing chooses you. Yeah. And I've always been interested in the kind of twisty, dark stories. And that probably comes from my dad, because when we were growing up, he would tell us all kinds of cautionary tales, like the little girl who left open the refrigerator door and died, um, or the little girl who touched the thermostat and died. Um, and, and, you know, at Christmas, how sometimes your dad will get on the roof and jingle, you know, and stamp his feet and jingle bells and all and go, ho, ho, ho. Well, he would do that in the summer. Just to, just to freak you just out. Just to freak us out. Um, so, you know, basically we lived in terror and we either coped with it by being afraid all the time or figuring out ways to turn it around and scare them. And so my sisters and I were constantly trying to outdo each other and scare the crap out of each other. And usually if I did something, I would get so scared myself, I would end up in the closet crying and my parents would come home. And since I was the baby, they would yell at my sisters for scaring me when I was the one who started it. So, you know, I lived a pretty charmed life, but it gave me also an opportunity to write about really scary things. And so you did go to school for a little while, but but not you did you pursue writing in college or not? I did, you know, and I took all the English classes they would let me take and then they said, "Well, you got to take science and math." And I said, "Yeah, well, got to go." Yeah, go. Um, I have great respect for people who could finish college. Uh, I'm certainly not uh, a proponent of dropping out, but it worked out for me. And then what, do you have some kind of a sign company? Tell us I did. I had that? a sign business because my dad uh, did not believe in, um, you know, a precious writer who lives at home or moves to New York and his, her father pays all the bills. He was not down with that. So he made sure I could work and I got a job. And I worked at a sign company for many years. And then I opened my own sign business so that I could concentrate on writing. And when I got my agent, I sold the company because I thought this is my time to try to really concentrate on this and um, get published. And so I sold the business and I worked for the guy um, in exchange for having time off to write. Oh, I see. And so, yeah, so that, that led you to Blindsided. Yes. So tell us, tell us about that evolution. Well, you know, I thought since I'm a Southern writer that I should write The Next Gone with the Wind. And no what, I, what I realized was there's a reason no one's successfully written a sequel to Gone with the Wind, you know. It's, um, it's a story that stands well on its own, let's just say that. But I did try to do that, and I wasn't very successful. Um, my agent shopped it out, and I got all these nice rejection letters from editors saying, we love your writing, we just don't like this story. 
And so I had a come to Jesus conversation with my agent and she said, well, you know, what do you want to write next? Because she really wanted me to keep writing. And I said, I'd, I'd always wanted to write a thriller. And she said, okay, we'll do that. And, you know, if you're good at it, send it to me. And so I started writing Blindsided and I was just, it was transformative for me. I was really finding my voice and it was just an amazing process and I wrote the bones of the book in 17 days no because I I had 17 days vacation and so I just I worked like a fiend you know 15 16 hour days and you know I was in my 20s so I could do that um and I was just on fire with it and then of course you know I had to edit it and change things around and that kind of stuff and and make it an an actual book that made sense but it really was just an amazing time for me because I loved it so much and so now you're on novel number 15 how has that process changed well it hasn't gotten easier because you think well I've written 15 books it's got to be easier now um the only difference is I know that someone's going to publish it, so that takes a little stress off. Yeah. Um, but then I think, okay, well, you know, and not just sales-wise. I mean, obviously, authors want to sell well, but reader-wise, I don't want to disappoint my readers. I want to give them the best story I can give them. I want them to be really shocked. I want them to be surprised. I want them to like the characters. That was very important mm-hmm. with this book. Empathetic, yeah. Yeah, you know, when I wrote Blindsided, I wrote a character named Lena Adams and I wrote her not to be liked and it's funny I heard an interview once I can't remember who who said it but that she said when women write unlikable characters other people think it's a mistake uh, but I wrote Lena Adams to be unlikable yeah. and I wanted to explore that um, but with Claire and Lydia I just wanted people to understand them and like them and um, root for them and, you know, be really think like, okay, well, I'd be okay if these women were my sisters. Absolutely. Or what would I do? Exactly. You know, what would I say to my sister? Or what would I do in that moment faced with that challenge? Because I think that that's also what allowed us in so completely was that every moment felt like it really could happen. You know, yeah. the way they get in the car and they have to figure out how to, you know, th- these small challenges in the midst of the huge challenge, I thought made made us feel very empathetic and, and, and very, re- you know, we could relate in- intensely to the whole situation. No, well, thank you. Now, you're, you're also, you're a global author. You're published in, you know, 25 different languages. You, you 32. 32. Yeah. 32 different languages. <laughs> you travel. You meet, so, so clearly, you meet readers from all over the world. Do you, do you notice a difference in the reaction from regions of the world from one another? You know, I always say nerd knows no language um, (laughs) because everywhere I go, whether it's been Spain or Australia, you know, you can always see the book nerd. Uh, and they all look the same. Let's call them book lovers. Book lovers, okay. yeah. Well, but, you know, there are subsets. So there's, like, the book nerd, and there's the cool book chick who has tattoos. And there's, you know, so it's, like, everywhere you go, what you're finding is just, or what I'm finding is people who love reading and love books and who love being around authors and love events. You know, I go to a lot of festivals around the world, and readers are there. And, and it's just, a, you know, a great confluence of people who love reading. And it doesn't really, yeah, you so know, you common, couldn't huh? say people in New Zealand like this. And, you know, it, it, one thing that I have noticed in the Netherlands, a lot of times people want me to hold their babies while they really? take pictures. And really? I think, have you read my books? Do you really want me holding your child? See, but that's what I mean about you. You're so... 
you're so approachable and so sweet that I would, I would give you my baby. <laughs> well, my sisters probably wouldn't say that about me, but uh, thank you. Well, I'm kind of glad to hear that that, 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 that the readers are sort of the same. I don't know why that, that gives me comfort. So I think you've kind of already answered this, but if I had to ask you, what does, what does success mean to you? Well, it's writing the books that I want to write, really, because I love, and you know, I love meeting readers all over the world. I love being successful. I love all the things that come with, you know, this 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 job. But at my very heart, I'm still that person who, at six years old, wrote that book and illustrated it, and I love that creative part of myself. I feel really connected to it. I have an exceptional editor I've been with since my second book, Kate Elton. And, you know, I love that that feeling of surprising her and the excitement in her voice. And, and you know, I think every writer has somebody they want to please. And for me, that's my editor. And I, I just, I, I love that feeling of creativity. And that's really the reward because how many people get to do this for a living? Not very many. So I, I'm very conscious that I'm extremely lucky to be able to do this. Who, who are your first readers? Who do you give your first drafts to? Well, only my editor, really. Um, Kate reads it, um, and I don't give it to her piecemeal. You know, oh, really? I'll give so her like, wait. well, yeah. I'll give her half the book, and she'll say, okay, you know, fantastic, or maybe you can explain a bit more, or uh, you know where you're going with this, that kind of thing. Um, and then I give her the second part, and, you know, then we have a conversation about it. So it's, you know, it's a private thing I do, and if I talk too much about a story or a plot, I won't want to write it because I like to surprise people. And that could be, you know, come from being the youngest girl in my family and wanting to keep my secrets and surprise people. Yeah, and you scare know. the pants off your sisters. Exactly. This is yeah. where it all comes from. <laughs> exactly. Now I know. <laughs> yeah, as a middle sister, you should know how <laughs> devious little sisters can be. Um, but, you know, that's that's such a, a, a wonderful thing to have that collaboration with my editor for so long. And, and she knows my work, and she knows that I want... You know, my only goal when I start a new book is it has to be better than the last one. It wow. has to say yeah. something new. It has to be in itself something that stands alone as different from the last. And they do, even even the ones that are part of the series. They really do. Well, thank you. Now, I want to ask you a couple questions as as a reader. What was the last book that you had a conversation about, and what did you say? Um, the last book I had a conversation about was Missoula. Mm-hmm. which is about the campus rape crisis. Um, and I was having a conversation with a group of other writers and because we were all talking about what we were reading. I was actually in um, California doing an event with Jane Smiley and a bunch of other women. It was a women's writing thing. Um, and, you know, the thing is, it was really horrifying to read because the statistics and all that. Um, but I thought... It was really important, a yeah. really important work. Yeah, I heard someone say that he's going to give it to his daughter for sure before she starts college. I think I'm absolutely I'm do the same. But you yeah. know, I think he, he should it, not he, but you know, you should also give it to your sons yeah, because good the, point. the fact yep. is, good point. This crisis is there, yep. and it's a very small number of men who are doing these crimes. Very, it's like ten percent, right? And they get away with it because right. no one says anything. Yep. So it's it's not just women's responsibility to stop it. It's men, too. That's a good point. Now, you are interviewing Charlene Harris as part of your activities at Thriller Fest. Tell me, 
I, I'd like some help here. How do you prepare when, you, when you're interviewing a colleague like that? How do you prepare for that conversation? Well, you know, I had this um, one of my first really great interviews was done at the Harrogate Crime Festival many years ago, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago. And Laura Lippman did it. And Laura okay. is a fantastic interviewer. And it was one of these things you dream about when you want to be an author where they're like, oh, you've won these awards and you've sold this, you know, and you've done that and that and that. And it was so flattering. And I thought, gosh, I wish Laura could interview Charlene because she would do <laughs> all that for Charlene. You know, I'm going to ask her stuff that, because Thriller Fest is a little different because it's predominantly people who are want to be published writers. Okay. And it's very successful for, for them. They've had a lot of success stories where these writers have gotten contracts and done very well. Um, I mean, but it's also a mixture of people who just love crime fiction, you know, and love being around um, authors and crime fiction readers. But I want to ask her a little nuts and bolts kind of stuff, you know, okay. and talk about success a little bit. Because I think it's interesting. I know a lot of successful authors. And the ones... I like were always likable. And Charlene is like that because, you know, she could be super successful or she could be middle of the road and she would be the same person. And to me, that says more about her character than anything she could ever say or write. It just, it gets to the core of who she is. So I want to talk to her a little bit about that and talk more nuts and bolts than, and, you know, we won't, I don't want to talk about characters and books and things like that. Yeah. I want to talk about her. her as a writer. Yeah, that I think that'll be great. I hope so. Yeah. All right, I have one final question. Were you to be banished to a desert island and you could take three books, what would you take? Um, uh, Gone with the Wind, uh, probably the Bible, because there are great stories in there and there are lots of pages. <laughs> um, and then, I don't know, for a third one, I just want something that was like a doorstop of a book, uh, so it would take a lot of time to read it. And if it was really crappy, then I could just burn it for fire. There you go. You're always <laughs> thinking ahead. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Kat Theck with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents, and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from the leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.